0: Well, good morning. If you can make your way to your seats, we're going to go ahead and get started.
1: So testing, testing the food. You are cut bears. I
0: didn't test, but I live vicariously
1: through Okay. <laughs> Well, we have, uh, before we jump into the sermon today, I want to do a quick uh, testimony, so I'm going to ask Pam and Steve to come up front here, and I'll get you a mic here. Uh, they're going to use Jen's mic, if that's okay, back there. There you go. Thank you. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We just have a- Years ago, our daughter had a, a cervical colonization, is that what they call it? And they kind of cut part of it off, and they told her she'd probably never bear children. And she had a miscarriage at that, about that point, too. So <clears> here <throat> we are years later, and we're praying that they'll get pregnant. We're praying and praying, and they do. The next thing we prayed for was that we'd have twins. We do. <laughs> the next thing we prayed for is that they'd be a boy and a girl. They are. <laughs> so God is good. But what we really want to say is is they're both home now, they're both thriving, they're out of the NICU, they're doing great, and everything's good, and we're thrilled. So thanks for, thanks for your prayers, everyone. We really appreciate it. God bless you all. It's always nice to get a testimony of uh, something that's good news, uh, and that they are uh, healthy and at home. So congratulations to and please pass on our prayers to Nick and uh, Nick and Jen and uh, the kids so give them a big hug for us so Not too close because there is that Yeah. <laughs> that's true. If so everybody us turn with me to Where am I at? Oh, I'm, I'm totally lost. Yeah, I know where I'm at, but I know physically. Can you jump to the uh there we go. Matthew chapter six. I am that old. I'm getting there. Matthew chapter six. Before we jump in, I want to tell you something. Uh, you know, it's always a as a pastor, one of the one of the least favorite sermon topics is, is finances <laughs> as a pastor. Because usually one of two things happens. Someone's in church and they always say, All the church ever talks about is money. That's all they ever want is money, money, money. And then there's also the conversation that happens all the time, and it's like Uh, you know, a lot of times what happens when a pastor does a sermon on money, what happens is that the tithing actually goes down the next week instead of up. It's really strange how it works out, but that is actually how it always works out. But part of our uh, incorporated series is we have to understand what it means to be incorporated with Jesus in our finances. We can't walk away from that. As much as uh, we may want to, we have to uh, strike at this right at the core of what it is, and that's what we're going to do today. See, when we think about talking about finances, I immediately revert back to my old self and my young childhood self when I was at a church, and uh, I was raised in a, in a uh, denomination or a church that was a lot about money, and uh, it was a lot about you know what could you give to the church, and, and your standing in church was based upon how much you gave to the church. That's exactly how it was. And uh, I've learned some things over the course of my life about how to, how to deal with that, but it's also caused me some times where I thought about this and I thought about this subject, and I had a, uh, I just, I would always get to that place where I'd like clam up and I'd just think about how it was in the past. And I would hear the stories of people that I talked about, you know, I talked about it in, in, uh, across the, you know, my life as I've talked to people, people would always go, the church shouldn't talk about money. Well, that's not true. First of all, I want to tell you right now, the church should talk about money. Because God wants to bless us, not only with the money, but he also wants us to bless others with the money that he has given to us. But as a young man, I started tithing when I, was very, uh, when I first gave my life to Christ. I gave my life to Christ when I was 16 years old, and I was in a Baptist church, and I gave my, I, as I gave my life to Christ, the uh, pastor looked at me, and the person who was discipling me said, if you gave your life to Christ, that means you give your wallet to him too. And I'm like, I'm 16 years old. I don't really have that much of a job. So here, you can have my wallet. There's not much in it, right? But there was times as I began to get a job and as I began to work on things in my life and grow and mature in my life that I started to give my tithes and offerings out of an expectation. Really, honestly, that's what it was. I wanted to give money out of an expectation that God would bless me back with that money. And that somehow, if I gave a dollar, he would turn around and give me $100 back in return. Now, anyone that's been a Christian for a while knows that our expectations should not be so. But we also know that God blesses us for what we give. And so there is some of that that is truthful. But you know, as a young child and as a as a young adult, you know, you work in a job, you don't really have that much money. You're you're going to college, and, and given you know a dollar, five dollars isn't really that much of a problem. It really wasn't that hit that big of a hit on my uh, finances. But what happened is when my wife and I got married, as many newly married couples do, we had very little money at all. <laughs> we were scraping by as much as we could, and we're going to church, and I heard a sermon one Sunday. And the pastor looked at me as he said this, and it's one of those moments in times when the pastor looks at you and you go, I know he's talking directly to me. He built this whole entire sermon just for me. Now, I want to tell you as a pastor, we don't ever build a sermon directly for you. That's the Holy Spirit working inside of you, right? But this, this, his eyes were so hot on my soul, I'm like, oh, See, my wife and I had just had a conversation on the way to church. We went to church that was roughly about 35, 40 minutes away. And so it took pretty much any extra money we had in gas just to get to church. But when we got to church, we're sitting in there and we were thinking about uh we we were we were I'm I'm talking we were scraping the bottom of the barrel, right? And I looked at my wife, and my wife goes, How much money do you have in your pocket right now? And I said, I think I have like 10 bucks. And she's like, Well, what were, what were you going to do with that? And I said, well, I was hoping that we would stop and get tacos on the way home because that was our favorite thing, Taco Bell. Don't judge me, I know. But for 10 bucks, you can feed your whole family at Taco Bell back then, right? Come on now. <laughs> so, so I told her, I said, well, I was really hoping we could stop by Taco Bell on the way home with the money. And she goes, no, I think the Lord wants us to give our last $10 for tithe. And I'm like, <laughs> I want tacos and I want mild sauce and I want no and so now I'm hungry but no so so we we actually you know uh, we had this conversation I remember sitting in church we had this conversation I said it's the last ten dollars we have honey I said but I uh, I'm free to uh, we'll give it so we gave this ten dollars in church it was the last ten dollars we had we listened to the rest of the sermon we went home that day and as we got home that night I began to pray and I'm like God. I just gave you my last $10 I have. I'm not being paid for another two weeks. Uh, I I don't know that if I have enough gas money to make it through the week. I don't know what's going on, all this stuff. And and the Lord said, you know, go to Matthew chapter six. And so I went to Matthew chapter six. And as I opened up Matthew chapter six in my my Bible, normally was the verse, Matthew chapter six, verse 19, fresh in my heart, but inside my Bible was a $50 bill. I don't know how that $50 bill got in my Bible. To this day, I still don't know. No one ever told me. I don't know if someone in our church put it in there. I don't know if God put it there. If an angel dropped down inside my Bible, you're free to do that anytime, Lord. But uh, (laughs) I dropped into my Bible and put that there. I don't know what it was. But it built my faith that day of saying, I have to tithe. It doesn't matter what I have. It doesn't matter what's in my bank account. It doesn't matter what I have. I have to give my tithe to the church. I have to give the money that is due him that he has blessed us with. And so we did this. Now here's the thing, when you have nothing and you go to church, giving nothing doesn't really hurt, right? If you have just a little bit of money and you go to church and you have to give a percentage of that back to the church, it doesn't hurt to give up just a few dollars. But as we matured and progressed in our business field and in my business field as I was working and as my wife progressed in her teaching career and raises and promotions started to come, I knew the percentage in my mind that I had to give back to the Lord, now, let me tell you, when you're poor and you have nothing, giving to the church is easy to do. When you're rich, for standards of the way I was in my life, and what I mean not rich in, in the earthly standards, but rich in terms of what I had made in my life, it was much harder to give that percentage. As you make more, the more that you give back, the more it's, it, it's, a, it's a sacrifice to the Lord to give. And so I learned, though, not to think about that. And I want to tell you today, we're going to go over this because I think this is very, very important. I'm really going to hit hard on, on a topic today on Matthew chapter 6 here, verse 19, because I want you to understand that money, where your treasure is, there is also your heart. Scripture tells us that. Scripture is very clear on that. And so where you put your money at, whether that's in McDonald's, whether that's in Dunkin' Donuts, whether that's in Starbucks, whether that, wherever that's at, Show me a man in his bank account, and I can show you what's important to him. It's very true. Wherever you put your money, there is your heart also. Scripture tells us this. But there is something about money that I believe Satan uses to discourage us and causes us to be in a place that we're in today. And this is what I want to talk about. When we are incorporated with Jesus, we have to look at our finances completely different, we have to look at them in a totally different light. And so today, I want to open, hopefully, your eyes as my eyes have continued to be open on this topic and as the Lord speaks to us. But let's pause for a moment and go to prayer, and then we'll begin in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for how wonderful you are and what a blessing you give to us. Lord, I pray today that as we uh, talk about being incorporated with Jesus in our finances and we talk about being 100% sold out with you, Jesus, that you would help us to understand what it means to be incorporated in those finances, what it means to be a cheerful giver, Father. And so, Lord, I pray that you just speak to us. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our mouths, open, up, open our senses so that we can know that you are speaking to us, Father, as we learn about what you want us to hear on this topic, Father. Lord, again, I've done all that I can do to prepare for this. Now, Lord, I ask you that you just go beyond my words. And speak to the people that are in this room and that are listening to us online, Father, as they hear this topic and what you would have to say to each and every one of us personally, Father. You are a loving God that loves us personally, Father. And so speak to us on that individual level, that personal level, Father, and what we need to learn from you today. We glorify you, Father. We honor you. We praise you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles open, again, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up treasures, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where there is, where, ah, I have to read it from up here because my glasses aren't good enough to read back there still, Corey, even though you've got a bigger TV. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, if you had your Bibles and you opened up your Bible and you're reading this from your, from your own Bible, you would see that these words would be in red in your Bible if you had a red-letter edition, Right? Because these are the words of Jesus. These are Jesus' own words to us. These are these are not our words. This is not something that Paul or John or Peter, but these are Jesus Himself speaking to us as people. And what Jesus begins to set up for us is that we should not store up treasures on this earth, but we should instead store them up in heaven. What does that mean? Well, technically what Jesus is saying is that instead of buying things here on this earth, instead of putting all your energy and effort to putting the treasures here on this earth, what we need to do is put our treasures up in heaven. How do you store up treasures in heaven? You do that by serving Jesus Christ, your Lord Savior. You do that by going out and sharing the gospel with people around you, doing good things, doing good deeds, helping people in need, blessing people who don't have what we have. Jesus is calling us to focus our energy and effort on that place and not this place. See, if we would allow ourselves, we would become very easily concerned about all these things of this earth here. Because what happens, and what I believe the devil wants us to do, and this is something I really want you to understand. See, I believe money today equals security in our lives. you ask anyone in this earth, if you ask anyone in, in uh, in this area of money, when you talk about money and finances, the more money you have, the more security you feel. Why is that? Because, of course, you can go out and buy whatever you need, right? If I'm missing and if I if I go to the refrigerator and open the refrigerator and I want to have a bowl of cereal and there's not a there's not any milk there, that's a pain, right? But I will tell you that most of us don't have to worry about where we're going to find that milk from. We'll just go to the store and buy more milk. There's security in that. There's security in having finances. There's security in having money. But the devil uses that security of what finances gives to us to pull us away from the true fact of what Jesus wants us to learn about finances. See, the honest-to-goodness truth is that, is that finances today, money, equals security, but it never should be that way. Jesus, in his own words, tells us that we cannot serve both money and God himself. If your idea of living your life is that you're always trying to build your bank account, trying to get better, trying to make more money, trying to do all of this stuff, what you're really doing is you're serving the God called money and not serving the God Jesus Christ. Now, there's nothing wrong. I want to be very clear with you. There's absolutely nothing wrong with making more money and making and getting promotions today. There's nothing wrong with receiving more money and having that money. It's what you do with the money that you receive that matters most. Because where your heart is, there also, or where your treasure is, there is also your heart. What you purchase, where you spend that money, your heart and your treasure will be. And so we have to be very careful about all of these things. The issue comes face to face when we read the scripture that we just read with Jesus. In his own words, he's telling us not to put trust in the things of this world, but to put trust in him. The mistake we often make is that we find security in money instead of finding security in the Word of God or God Himself. You know how that, that's true? I can, I can prove this to be true in every single one of them. In every case of every single person who has security in money, I can make that truthful. Let me ask you a question. If you don't read your Bible, if you don't pray, if you don't go to church, can you still live? you miss it? If I ask you to give up every single dime you ever had, to not have one single penny to your name for a day, could you do it? See, most people can live without God, but they can't live without money. And the truth of the matter is, is that's because money has become a security blanket for us. We find security blanket in that money. We find security in all that God gives to us. And so instead of putting our trust, instead of putting our security in God, who deserves all of it and deserves to bless us with all those things, we put all of our trust in money because we can go out and buy it. And by the way, the country, the the world, really, not just our country, but even Satan has caused the world to go outside of that because now we have this wonderful thing called credit cards. And so if we don't have the security of cash in the bank or cash in our pocket or money. What we do is we just whip out Mr. Visa or Mr. Discover or Mr. MasterCard and go and buy what we need because it's easier to do that. Again, it's security. We're finding our security. Instead of taking a step back and saying, Lord, I don't want my security to be in money. I want my security to be in you. I need to trust you wholeheartedly that you are the king of my life. And so therefore, I'm going to find my security in you which means I will trust in you every second of every day. And money becomes secondary. It's not important. Listen, when you truly understand that money doesn't have security, that money is a, is a, is a man-made element that God uses... I want to be very clear with this. It is Money is man-made, but God uses money all over Scripture. It talks about money. Paul is happy to receive the gift that the Corinthians have for him. Uh, he goes on to talk about it's a wonderful gift, and we're going to get to, we'll actually read that verse, but it's, it's all of these things. It's wonderful. It can be used to bless many people. But when our mindset is putting money first, what happens is it becomes an idol in our life, and we serve that idol instead of serving God. What does the Ten Commandments say about serving any other gods but God himself? We should not do it. And so we have to be very careful in our life that we don't find money to be a security, but instead we find God. Do do you put as much energy and effort into your relationship with God as you do the relationship that you have with your bank account? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Because the question that we have to ask ourselves is, if not, if that's not true, if we only come to church on Sunday and occasionally read our Bible, and occasionally pray, then what we're really doing is we're putting much more security in something else, whether that's money, kids, family, whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. But we have to be careful that God is our security. God is what we trust in. God is who we need. Jesus is the most important part of our lives. We have to put our security in God. We have to make a choice, whether we want to belong to the world or to God. Our trust, our very basic trust, the very core of who we are, Jesus teaches, has to be in God. That's why he says, you cannot serve both money and God. You have to choose. You cannot serve God and your family. You cannot serve God and your job. You have to choose to serve God first, and everything else will fall in line behind that. Why is that so important? Why does God stress that? Because he knows the power that's in money. Have you ever met someone who received a large sum of money? Whether through an inheritance, or through their hard work of their jobs, whatever it might be. It's hard to, for them to not think, to focus on, and, and be completely enwrapped in those finances. And I will tell you today, the more money you make, the harder it is to walk yourself away from that. It was easy for me when my wife and I were scraping pennies around and trying to find money to, to, uh, to, to uh, have food and, and just to do basic things. It was easy for us because our trust was like, okay, God, we don't have any money to trust in, so we have to trust you, Right? But the more money you make, the more difficult it is because you want to trust in that instead of trusting in God. You must learn to trust in God, to put your security in Him. Now, the Scripture talks about all these things, and I want to take a little bit of a detour here for a moment, and then we'll get back to this topic again. But in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, There's this wonderful verse that pastors love to talk about when they're talking about money. (laughs) Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. This is called a Levitical law. This is one of the laws that the book, the Old Testament Levitical Christians would have to follow. So this is one of the 600 and some odd, I forget the exact number. Do you remember? 613? 613, thank you. You're a better uh, Levitical law follower than I am, Becky. So, <laughs> 613 Levitical laws. This is one of them, right? This is one of the ones that we that you would have to follow. Why did you have to follow us? In the Old Testament days, if you wanted to have your sins forgiven, there wasn't a sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There wasn't a sacrifice that he made on the cross for us yet. And so if you were going to be a Christian, if you were going to be in good standing and have your sins forgiven, one of the 613 laws that you would have to follow was that you brought the Lord a tenth of all the, that you made. That's what a tithe stands for. It stands for a tenth of what you make. And so, what what God was saying to the Israelites through the Levitical law is that every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So, what they are speaking to the Lord, or what they're speaking about, is that whether you grew something in the ground, whether you picked it from a tree, whatever whatever it was, you had to take. The first fruit, by the way, this isn't something that you go, oh, i gotta, I got I to gotta eat, i got to give my neighbors this, I owe this person this, and so what do I have left over? Oh, I have five bucks. There you go, Lord, I'm giving you what I have left over. No, what, what the Levitical law was telling us is that you had to take the very first, that's why they call it the first fruits, you had to take the very first 10% that was given to you, and then you would take that and you would bring it to the temple, you would bring it to the Lord, you would give it to the Lord. Why? Why? Because it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. The Lord, see, the the understanding was that if we gave up of what was given to us and we gave it to him and we honored him first, our security would be in him and not in the things that we have. Do you understand that? So what the Lord is saying to people is that this is you're going to give to him what is due him instead of whatever's left over at the end. Second Corinthians verse nine, starting in verse six. I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountiful will reap bountiful. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10 says, He will, he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, by the approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confessions of the gospel of Christ and generosity of your contribution for them and all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Second Corinthians verse 9. Now listen, I, I want to make the correlation here for a moment. In the Old Testament law, we had to follow the Levitical law of giving. We had to give that because that's what made you whole. That's what made you well. That's what made you who God wanted you to be. That was the blessing. That was the first fruit that God deserved. Now we live in a new age. We're no longer under the Levitical law. We're under this area of grace. However, that doesn't excuse us from miss and walking away from what the Levitical law tells us. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not abandon the law. And so we have to understand that why, by Jesus' life here on this earth, he wants us to follow him and follow what he's doing. Now, why do I read 2 Corinthians 9? Why do I pull this, even this up? Because this is Paul's understanding. This is Paul speaking to us in this verse of how, when we give money, what happens to it? right? Paul is talking to the Corinthians. The Corinthians at the time were a very rich people. They had a lot of money. They were a, they were a city of trade. They were on a wonderful place where people would come and go, and they'd come through the city. And so there's lots of opportunities to sell things, lots of opportunities to make money. And so Paul is saying to them, they have prepared a gift to give to Paul so Paul can take to a different city and give that gift to them. But Paul begins to lay out what it means, Verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountiful will reap bountiful. There is a a natural condition that God lays in this world today. If you give and you reap, if you you plant a seed, what's going to happen? Something is going to grow up. If you're a farmer today, or you have a garden or anything like that, and you go and you put a seed into the ground, what happens to it? If you treat it right. You water it. It's going to grow. It's going to produce something. You put a kernel of corn in the ground and and cover it up, it's going to grow into another piece of corn. What God is telling us is that when we sow and we put it into the ground, when we sparingly, we give our money sparingly to the Lord, what happens is that we will reap from that also. But then he goes on, Paul goes on to say, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not re- reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, in the Old Testament, this is, this is where we have to make the condition. We no longer give because we have to, we give because we want to honor God with our relationship. In the Old Testament, they gave because they have to. If I stood over top of you and said, you're going to hell unless you give 10% of the first fruit that you came," I bet you you'd be reaching for your pockets as quickly as possible. Because no one wants to be assigned to that. Today in the New Testament, we give because we want to honor God. We want to be incorporated with Him. We want Him to be so inside of our life that this is an honoring way. It's a way of saying, God, I don't find my security in money. I find my security in You. And so therefore, I'm going to give it to You. By the way, another verse pastors love to say, God loves a cheerful giver. It's not, oh, it's going to hurt. You don't understand. I don't want to give this. I don't want to write this check out. I don't want to put this in there. I had so many fun things I could do with that money. God, if you would just, can I just keep it this month only, Lord, please? Come on, they're not going to miss it. The churches are going to miss it. The people in the community don't really need it. Let me just keep a hold of it for one month. I could have so much fun. I could go wherever I want to go. I could do whatever I want to. I could go out to dinner at a really nice place. Lord, I'll even bless my wife with it. I'll take her out to a nice restaurant. (laughs) problem is, is the Lord wants us to be a cheerful giver. Listen, if I came to Pastor Chaz and I wanted to give him a gift and go, you know what? I really don't like giving you this. It really aggravates me that God told me that I have to give you this gift. You you probably won't even use it. You have a thousand of these things anyway. So I'm going to give this to you, but here, take it. How do you think he's going to feel? Now, if he's smart, he's going to take it anyway and run. But uh, No, I'm kidding. No, but if I go to him and say, Pastor Chaz, I got something awesome for you. I just want to give this to you. You know, the, the, the Lord put it on my heart to, to, to bless you and give this to you. So I'm going to give this blessing to you and I'm going to give this to you. And so I give this blessing to you and I do it in a cheerful way and I do it with a smile on my face. What, it's going to come across better, right? Spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, right? right? God wants us to give in a cheerful manner, but he wants us to give because he wants to be honored. We no longer live under the Levitical law of the past. We now live under the grace of Jesus Christ and he wants to have a relationship with us. And so if we have a relationship with him, what we're trying to really say to God is, God, here, I'm going to give back to you what you have first given to me because I honor you and I trust you and my security is not in money. My security is not in things. It's not in all the things that I have in here. My security is in you. And so here, I'm blessing you. I'm giving it back to you. Use it for how you see fit. Take it. Because you deserve it. The problem of it is today is that the word tithe still means 10%. The Old Testament meant 10%. That's the first fruit. Today, what happens is we live under the grace, and so people say, because I live under the grace, I'm just going to give whatever's left over. I'm just going to give what I feel like I want to give. The truth of the matter is is Jesus doesn't want what you have left over. He wants an honor to him. He wants you to bless him with what you have, and he wants you to give it to him in a cheerful way. Paul goes on to say to us what happens to this. He says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through, through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So what Paul is saying is because God's going to bless you so that you can give and so that then you can take that money and the church can take that money or Paul can take that money and he can go out and give it to people in need. The truth of the matter is, and and sometimes it's very hard to understand, ministry of the church doesn't happen without people giving to the church. We can only have our ministry, as much as I hate it, listen, I can go out and I can stand on the street corner and I can share the gospel of Christ all that I want. I can go and I can show up and I can pound nails and I can uh, put up walls in a house and I can do all of those things. But in reality, it costs money to buy those walls. It costs money to buy those uh, things. And so as we we're talking even about Habitat for Humanity, we can't do any of that without people giving to the... Because it does. It takes money. We can show up on, sun- on Friday afternoons and pack backpacks and bring them here, but in reality, we have to pay to buy that, that food so that we can put them in bags and take them to the kids here at the school's See, the mistake that Christians make is that tithe is an act I have to do instead of being an honor to give back to God. The more we honor God with our blessings that he has given to us, what we're really saying when we give money to our tithe, what we're saying is, Lord, I want to give back to you. I want to say thank you for all of the blessings of my home, all of the blessings of my life, my job. Yes, it's a pain in the butt to go there every day, but you know what? You've provided for me. And so in return, I want to I honor you because my security is not in this paycheck. My security is not in any of this. My security is in you. So I'm going to give back to you what you deserve. I'm going to give it to you. And through that, Lord, you will bless me. But not only will you bless me, you'll bless me because I won't get to see ministry happen through the church and through the body of Christ. But then, and even above and beyond that, you will bless me because by honoring you, you honor us and bless us in return. Can I be very honest with you for a moment? God doesn't need our money. He doesn't. God doesn't need our money. I know that's weird, as I said here, talking about tithing and giving to the church and giving to God and blessing him, but in all reality, he doesn't need it. He's the creator of the whole world. He created money. He created finances. He created all the things that we have today. He doesn't need it. There's nothing that we can give to him that he doesn't already have and own. In fact, he's taking from what he has to give to us so that we can in turn give back to him. Why is he doing that? Because again, it's an honoring process. A process where we honor him. He doesn't need it, but he wants us to honor him in return. He wants us to honor him and say, God, my security's not in this world. My security's not in my money. My security's not in my finances. My security is in you, and so here you go. I give it back to you. Can I ask you for just a moment to think about what it means to have an incorporated giver, a life so full of Jesus that Jesus just runs through every fiber of your being, every fiber of your body, teamed up with a church that's incorporated with Jesus through everything they do. Could you imagine how many lives could be changed if we all honored God with what he's due, and in return, he gives to us so that we could go out and do that. Just think about it for a moment. And as you're thinking about it, we get back to even the words of Paul that he's speaking to the Corinthians. their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confessions of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution. The truth of the matter is, Paul, what Paul is telling the Corinthians, because you are generous, other people will come to salvation. Because you are generous, other people will have their needs met. The idea of welfare in our country should have never been a government-run organization. Do you understand that? The New Deal that was uh, Teddy Roosevelt put together, wonderful man, by the way, Franklin, I'm sorry, thank you, Franklin Roosevelt. The New Deal that he came in together and he puts together for welfare of this country, that was never something the government should have been responsible for. See, if the church was doing its job, we wouldn't need a welfare system in this world today. If the church, together, answered the needs of the community and did what it was supposed to, and we gave to God what was due him, he would bless us in return so that we could bless the people of this community. But it's because the church and and the Christians at the time were not doing doing their due diligence what they were supposed to be doing that the government had to step in and do something that they were supposed to do they needed to do, to provide for the, their citizens. And so today we have a system that is out of order. We must learn to take that order back and be an incorporated church with incorporated givers, having Jesus run at the theme of everything that we do so that we can bless the world around us, the people around us. Today, I want to challenge you for a moment. I want to challenge you by asking, where is your security today? Where is your treasure? Do you honor the Lord with your giving? And could I challenge you today to see what the Lord is asking for you today? The Lord is asking you to, to drop your security in all these other things of this world and have your security only in Him. I love what Dave Ramsey says. Tithing was created for our benefit. It teaches us to keep God first in our lives and how to live unselfishly. Unselfish people make better spouses, better friends, better relatives, better employees, better employers, and they usually have better finances at the same time. God is trying to teach us how to prosper over time. See, this was not something, this is a wonderful phrase. Dave Ramsey, if you don't know who Dave Ramsey is, shame on you. I'll tell you all about him in a moment. Or you can come up and talk to me after church, not in a moment, because we're not going any further with Dave Ramsey. But he has a wonderful way of finances and doing finances. But this wonderful, he, he, he is so truthful in this statement that I had to share it with you. See, tithing was not created for God. It was not created for the church. It was not created for the pastor. It was not created for any of us. It was created for our benefit. So as we tie to the church, what happens is that we are honoring God. He's teaching us how to keep Him first in our lives, how to put Him where He needs to, how for us to live unselfishly, where we don't think about uh, ourselves, but we think about others. I mean, it's, it's, it's true. I, 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 I um, am so thankful for what we were able to do last night, Right? And how people came and gave and and been part of that. But honestly, we can do even more than that. We don't need to just stop right there. We can do more. If we were unselfish in the way that we live. Now listen, I'm not talking that you can't use your money for your home and and the things that you need. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you don't buy things for yourself. I'm not asking you to come in here stinking and not taking a shower or not having clothes, right? Please, take a shower. No one wants to sit next to you if you're not showering, right? Right? But what I'm saying is that if we serve God and we honor him, he will honor us in return so that we can reach other people in this world. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. My challenge to you today, my challenge to myself today, is your giving in line with what God is requesting from you. You know, I didn't even get into the whole idea the New Testament talks about tithing, it talks about giving to God, but then there's also this thing called offerings that go above and beyond your tithe. That's what Corinthian, the Corinthian church was actually giving an offering to Paul so that they could be blessed, so other churches could be blessed. And there's, there's, there's a whole uh, wonderful Christian principle of called offerings that happens beyond that. But today, what I want to focus on is, how do we serve God today in our giving? If we're 100% incorporated with Jesus, if Jesus is incorporated inside of you, then money is not the issue. You're not going to squeam when you go to sit down and give God what is due him. If you're incorporated with Jesus and Jesus is 100% in your life, then what you're going to do is you're going to cheerfully give what you have so that you know that God can bless other people in the community. So other people could be served. So kids could receive food bags and and the needy could receive what they need in this world. See, our job as a church, our job as givers, is not to focus on what we're giving up. Our goal is to focus on who we're giving it to. And in return, he will bless us amazingly. I could sit here and tell you story after story after story of people that have told me the benefit of when they started tithing, when they started giving to God, when they trusted God with their finances, how he in return blessed them. If you're here today, and, you're telling, and you're, I, I, can, I can see it in some of your faces. I won't call any of you out, but I can see it in some of your faces. You're going, if you only knew my finances, Pastor Jason. Yeah. Let me tell you, I've been there. Some cases we are there. <laughs> but I would tell you that the very first thing you need to do, even when you feel like you don't have anything else, is you need to sit down and you need to honor God. You need to honor God with your giving. You need to honor God because what you're doing is you're saying, these finances will no longer control me. I will no longer live by the control of the world. I'm going to live by the control of God. See, it has nothing to do with the church. It has nothing to do with the pastor. It has nothing to do with what's going on. It has everything to do with honoring God. Again, what I could say to you in Jesus' own words, you cannot serve both money and God, so you have to choose. Which one are you going to serve? Are you going to fear money and not serve God? Or are you going to serve God and put money in its place? Because money in the right place is a beautiful thing, a useful thing. I have nothing against people making money. In fact, I encourage it. (laughs) I pray that you are blessed mightily so that you can bless and return the community around us. I want that. I want that for you. But I also want you to be in the right mindset. Will you stand with me, please? One of the hardest things to do as a Christian is to trust that he will take care of us, even when we don't feel like he will. You're here today, and you're wondering, how can I trust God with this? How can I trust God with my giving? How can I trust that I'm going to be able to make it? How can I trust that everything's going to be okay? The only thing I can tell you is that you need to start doing it. You just need to give it over to God and say, God, here it is. It's yours. I trust that you'll take care of me. I trust that you'll love me. I trust that you'll take me where I need to go. We need to have a right, that's okay. We need to have a right mindset of what finances really are. We have to have a right mindset of what God wants us to do with these finances. We need to understand that tithing was not put in place for God's benefits. It was not intended to be a duty. Yes, I just did say duty. For those that are having 7th grade uh, humor like I do, I did just say duty. Jay. Um, So. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Jay, I'm right there. I'm right there beside you in 7th grade. I'm the one who's saying it from the... I'm just I'm going, in, I'm going into this really moving. I want to pray, and, I'm, and I just say duty. That's right. Okay. Hi. All right. Yep. But honestly, God doesn't want your giving to be something that you just have to do. He wants it to be an honoring process where you trust him with everything. It's just another way of saying, God, I trust you with my life. And when I say I trust you with my life, that means I trust you with everything. See the mistake we often make is that we give him enough trust to follow him, but we don't give him everything. The hardest thing for a Christian to do—that you can only trust him. and when.